Blog Talk Radio. As we look at the world today, we see the world as a vast stage. The play is almost done. There remains but one more scene. And that final scene is the latter days and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now as we come to Daniel chapter 2, we're going to see the unfolding of the last act on the stage of human history.
Welcome to Grace To You Weekend with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. China, the United States, Russia, three of the most powerful nations on earth. But despite their strength, is it possible that those world powers could crumble and fall like ancient Rome or Babylon? And why should the way God dealt with mighty nations in the past encourage Christians today? Consider those questions in light of Scripture as John MacArthur begins a series on Bible prophecy titled, The Rise and Fall of World Powers. Our study comes from the book of Daniel. If you have your Bible, you can turn there now, and here's John. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. We want to begin to look at the section from verses 31 to 49, the second half of this second chapter. Before we get into the portion of Scripture that we're going to be specifically concerned with, let me just say some introductory things. We're all watching, rather sadly, we who know Christ, the fall of the United States of America. As sad as it is, it shouldn't really shock us. The reason is because it has always been and always will be the lot of nations, nations of the world, that the kingdoms of men will go the way of all flesh and ultimately end in collapse and ruin. Anything based on the might of man, anything established on the wisdom of man, will suffer the same kind of deterioration that man himself suffers since the fall. Dissipation is man's history. It is a devolutionary process, not an evolutionary process. Man is not ascending, man is descending. So that history, as studied, becomes a succession of defeats. An empire begins, reaches a peak, and fades, and dies, and another is built out of its ashes. We are looking at America. America in the past reached its apex. We're on the downside the back slope. We are watching a defeat taking place. We see the dissolution of our country on every hand. We are deteriorating just like every other nation ever deteriorated. Because built into America is the same basic problem. We have feet of clay like the image in Daniel. And clay, says Daniel, represents the seed of men. And wherever anything is built on men, it is built for dissolution. The world today, then, is simply going through the same cycles of dissolution that it has always endured. We can see the seeds of dissolution very, very manifestly. As we look at the world today, we see the world as a vast stage. A vast stage with the final curtain still down. And we get the feeling that the actors are behind that final curtain preparing for the last scene in the drama of human history. The play is almost done. There remains but one more scene. And that final scene is the latter days and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we step close to the stage behind the curtain, we can hear the commotion of the stagehands as they set up the machinery and set the stage for that final act. And now as we come to Daniel chapter 2, 
Daniel takes us behind the curtain before it rises. We're going to see incredible insights, not only in Daniel 2, but from Daniel 2 to the end of the book, the unfolding of the last act on the stage of human history. As we look at chapter 2, verses 31 and following, we're going to see the great history of the Gentile world rule. Jesus said there would be a time titled, Luke 21, 24, the times of the Gentiles. It had already begun. It would come to an end at the coming of Christ. In fact, that verse says, Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. There will be a period of time when Jerusalem is under the control, when the nation of Israel is under bondage to some degree or another, to Gentile world power. That is known as the times of the Gentiles. Interestingly enough, it began with the Babylonian captivity. It began with Nebuchadnezzar. It ends with the coming of Jesus Christ. We're living in that time right now. Israel does not possess the fullness of its inheritance. Israel does not dwell in its land in peace. Israel does not possess everything from the Mediterranean to the Tigris and Euphrates as in the original Palestinian covenant. These are the times of the Gentiles. Gentile nations have dominated that part of the world since Nebuchadnezzar, and they will to some degree hold power over it until Jesus comes again. Now listen to me. The second chapter of Daniel then indicates that God transfers the leadership of this earth from the Jew and Israel to the Gentiles. Israel takes a back seat. Israel goes into captivity and never returns to its former glory ever, not even today, not until Jesus comes. Now, as we come to Daniel, Israel is in captivity. Now, let me just say this. Immediately in chapter 2, God gives to Daniel the prophecy through the dream of Nebuchadnezzar that describes this period of history. It describes it from the beginning to the end, how it ends, that's even described as well. And as I studied that, I thought to myself, well, why does such a prophecy come at the very beginning of the times of the Gentiles? If it's going to last for thousands of years, it's already lasted um, over 2,000 years. If it's going to last for all this period of time, why give this prophecy at the very beginning? Well, I think there's a good reason. I think as soon as Israel went into captivity... As soon as the land of Judah was taken captivity, as soon as God's people knew Gentiles were ruling in their land, God wanted them to know that that was not a permanent thing. Why? Because if they felt that it was all over for Israel permanently, they would have begun to question the credibility of God. Because God had many times said He would never forsake His people. He would ever keep His covenant. He would always fulfill His promise. He would never forget Jerusalem. And so I believe that no sooner are they in captivity than God immediately reveals the fullness of the plan from beginning to end, the start of the times of the Gentiles and the ending of the times of the Gentiles when Israel returns to its place of glory so that they will know that God has not failed in all His good promise. At this time when the prophecy comes in chapter 2, Jerusalem is in ruins. The temple is torn down. Judah has been destroyed. The sacred vessels of the temple have been carried off and placed in the temple of an idol. 
Is this the end? Has God forgotten His covenant? Are all the promises lost? Is God's Word untrue? No. And so comes immediately this fantastic, incredible revelation. Now let's look at it. In the first 31 verses of Daniel 2, we have the dream received. The dream was received. One night, Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king who didn't believe in the God of Israel, was just about to go to sleep, and as he was lying on his bed, according to verse 29, he was lying on his bed thinking. He began to think about his empire, and he ruled the the known world, and he was the most powerful monarch there was, and he, he began to think about what will happen when I die? What is it going to be like in the future? And as he was musing over these thoughts, he fell asleep. And he dreamed some dreams, the Bible says. One of those dreams was a very special one given to him by God. He knew he wouldn't be around forever. He had seen other empires come and go. He became deeply concerned about his own empire, and so he dreamed a dream. One of the dreams, the one that God gave him, was a picture, now watch this, of history from Nebuchadnezzar to the return of Jesus Christ, an incredible prophecy in a dream. The period that he saw is the times of the Gentiles, the world ruler during the setting aside of Israel. Look now at verse 28, and that'll frame it for you, of chapter 2. There is a God in heaven, says Daniel, who reveals secrets and makes known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be, now watch this, in the latter days. Now, there's a key phrase, the latter days. That is not a phrase restricted to Nebuchadnezzar's understanding. That is not a phrase restricted to Nebuchadnezzar's lifetime. When it says the latter days, that is what we call an eschatological statement from the Greek word eschatos, which means last things. That is a a term that refers all the way to the last days, to Messiah's time. Now, Nebuchadnezzar received this dream. Then what happened? Do you remember? He forgot it, didn't he? It left his mind. I think God gave it to him, and I think God let him forget it because God wanted to prove a point. I think he remembered some hazy things so that he could recall it when Daniel told it to him, but basically I think he forgot the dream because where it says in the authorized version that the dream went from him, some versions say the thing is gone from me. Others say the command from me is sure or the command from me is firm. The Aramaic basically says the thing has gone from me. But some say it comes from a different Aramaic word, meaning the command is firm. And he's not saying, I forgot it at all. He's just trying to test all of his wise men. So he pretends to forget it. Now, frankly, folks, as you look at the text, it could go either way. The reason I believe he forgot the dream is because that makes better sense to me in the context. You say, why? Well, why would Nebuchadnezzar have a dream that scared the life out of him, that absolutely panicked him, that gave him a good case of apoplexy, a dream that caused him such frenzy that he couldn't sleep, that he lost his sleep, why would he then pretend not to remember that and start to play games with his wise men? It would seem to me that if the panic was as deep as the text indicates it was, he wouldn't be fooling around just trying to prove that his wise men couldn't really tell him the answers. 
Because as it turned out, he kept saying to them, tell me the dream and then its interpretation. And they would say, well, you tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. But we can't figure out the dream if you don't tell us. And some say, well, he was just pretending not to remember to smoke out their phoniness. But you see, that would have been completely off his point. He was trying to get an answer to this tremendously disturbing dream, not try to unmask his wise men. That could save itself for another day when things weren't quite as panicky. And that's why I believe he forgot it. And I think God helped him forget it, just like God gave it to him, so that God could smoke out the phonies among the wise men and put Daniel in the place he wanted him in. Because the only one who had the answer was Daniel. This was no time for playing games. Daniel stepped in to be the channel of God's revelation. And when he did, the king spared all the wise men, showing that that was not his intention. He just wanted to get his dream cleared up. Now, God is called by Daniel the revealer of secrets. And that's exactly what happens beginning in verse 31. The dream is recalled. The dream received in the first 31 verses, or first 30 verses. Then in 31, the dream recalled. Daniel, remember, is God's chosen man. And back in chapter 1, verse 17, it said that Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, Daniel was given this gift by God to be able to deal with dreams, to be able to interpret dreams, to be able to reveal dreams, and now was his moment. You see, God was pushing Daniel up the ladder, and this would be the final straw. Nebuchadnezzar was already convinced this man was ten times wiser than all of his wise men put together, and now when this happens, he makes him prime minister of the whole place. Let's see the dream recalled, verse 31. Daniel speaks, and this is what he says to him. Thou, O king, here's what you saw. Now get this. Daniel doesn't know because the king hasn't told him. There's no way humanly that Daniel could get this information. The king says, I can't remember my dream. And so first Daniel has to tell him what his dream was and then interpret it. First he says, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. The Aramaic word here is statue. It's not an idol that you worship. It's just a statue. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form of it was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly or bowels and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet part of iron and part of clay. Now, that's a strange-looking thing. And it's just this huge, brilliant, massive statue. And then the action takes place in verse 34. Thou sawest until a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image on its feet that were of iron and clay, and broke them to pieces. Then were the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, that's a strange dream. Very strange dream. And those people in those days believed that dreams had significance. And this one did because it was from God. What did he see? He saw a statue in a human form. It was made of shining metal. You'll notice it says this great image twice in verse 31. That word in the Aramaic is immense, massive. We have no way to know just how big it was in his thoughts, but it was a massive image, a massive statue. And it says its brightness was excellent there. That means it was extraordinarily splendorous. Uh, the metal in it was shining brilliantly. 
this massive, immense, brilliantly shining thing. It says at the end of verse 31 was terrible. It inspired terror or it inspired fear. Uh, perhaps we would best say it was awesome. So immense, so splendorous, so awesome that he was literally scared to death. And even though he couldn't remember what he saw in his dream, he could remember that it scared him. And all he had left was the fear without the dream. And so now Daniel tells him what it was he saw. Now notice this thing. Very interesting. It is made out of different metals, basically. It starts out and it goes from gold all the way down to iron and clay. By the way, the clay is hasap in the Aramaic, which is a word meaning baked clay. It probably refers to the china tile that they used in those times, and that would have been what he saw. He saw the feet made out of a combination of iron and tile, ceramic, brittle tile. Another interesting thing about this is it not only is a decreasing or a deteriorating value, but it's always interested me that there's a corresponding lower specific gravity. Gold is heavier than silver, and silver is heavier than brass, and brass is heavier than iron, and iron is heavier than iron and clay mixed. The whole thing is top-heavy. It's top-heavy. It's getting more and more brittle as it goes down. In fact, gold is so flexible and malleable that it can't even be shattered. But iron and clay can. The whole history of humanity, the whole history of the, the, the Gentile world until the coming of Christ is going to be a very precariously balanced thing that is constantly and incessantly deteriorating until its final dissolution when it is smashed at its feet and it is blown away like dust in a wind. Pretty vivid. From its head of gold to the fragile feet of glazed china mixed with iron, the image is fragile and prone to fall over. And that is exactly what happens in verse 34. The action begins. A stone was cut out without hands. That means it had no human source. No men made that stone. It smote the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. In fact, so much so that they became like chaff of the summer threshing floor and the wind carried them away. No place was found for them and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. The stone takes over the whole world and all the rest of that stuff blows away. The top-heavy image is toppled by a crushing blow at its feet. In rapid succession, the entire disintegration of the image follows, and all of its dust is blown away. Now, this is a pretty amazing missile, wouldn't you say? That smashes all of the history of the Gentiles. And on that note, John MacArthur wraps up today's study from the book of Daniel. It's part of his series, The Rise and Fall of World Powers, here on Grace to You Weekend. Now, John, lately on Grace to You, we've been playing a lot of vintage John MacArthur messages. I love hearing them. And what amazes me is that the message we heard today, you preached more than 40 years ago. And even then, you were talking about cultural decay in the United States, which is even worse now. So with all of the moral collapse, everything that's gone wrong in America, is it somehow wrong for Christians to celebrate the birth of our nation, like many of us recently did on Independence Day? No, but that's a very interesting thing to talk about, Phil, because I kind of have the feeling that uh, 
there isn't the uh, the same sense of gratitude for America. Mm. Um, you know, America is a common grace, right? I mean, it's a gift from God to a certain population of people for several hundred years. It's a blessing, uh, a blessing of freedom, religious freedom that not all nations have enjoyed. It's mm. a it's a nation of uh, of prosperity. Uh, there seems to be a a grander gift of prosperity to this nation than many, many other nations through the same 200-year period or even today. But I don't see in this particular culture gratitude Mm. because I was reading today that less than half of Americans now go to church. Mm. That's the lowest that statistic has ever been. And I'm not talking about Christians. I'm talking about people who acknowledge God and would even say, thank you, God, for what you've provided I don't know that people are going to be singing, God bless America. There's this growing hostility toward what this country is, and it's orchestrated. Hmm. It's orchestrated by people who want to do damage and just are iconoclastic and want to destroy everything in sight. So I, I don't know that people are are thankful, and I think that's the issue for me. You can say what you will about America uh, this is uh, this is a wonderful place to have been given common grace and to have been exposed to the gospel. Hmm. But to whom much is given, much is required. And this nation has gone past, I think, the point of gratitude and even past the point of grace where they're now under judgment. Uh, but for those of us who see the hand of God in the kindness expressed in, in our home country, we're happy to say thank you to the Lord and Uh, grateful that he allowed us the freedom to proclaim the gospel and continues to allow it even up to this day for at least a little while, perhaps. That's right. Thanks, John. And friend, to help motivate your evangelism and to equip you with clear teaching on the gospel, let me encourage you to pick up John's book called Nothing But the Truth. It's affordably priced. You can order yours today. Call 800-55-GRACE or go to gty.org to purchase your copy of Nothing But the Truth. There's no need to be intimidated about proclaiming the gospel. This detailed book can help you present the good news with clarity and boldness. Again, to order Nothing But the Truth, visit gty.org. And just a reminder that every day on this broadcast, we're not just teaching the content of a passage. We're teaching Christian men and women how to approach the Bible on their own and how to evaluate what others are teaching. And it's the support of listeners like you that makes this vital ministry possible. To partner with us, write to Grace to You Weekend, Box 4000, Panorama City, California, 91412. Or call us at 800-55-GRACE, or you can make a donation online at gty.org. Now, on behalf of John MacArthur and the staff, I'm Phil Johnson. Thanks for tuning in today, and be here next week when John continues his look at prophecy from the book of Daniel called The Rise and Fall of World Powers. It's another 30 minutes of unleashing God's truth, one verse at a time, on Grace to You Weekend. All right. 
Here we go, kids, gather round. A brand new sound to praise the one who has the crown. In today's lesson, we'll talk about the Holy Bible, the most important book we all need for survival. The Bible is God's message for this world. It's for every man and woman, every boy and girl. And that message is that if we turn to Christ and place our trust in Him, we'll have eternal life. Now when we're at church, yeah, it's fun, it's cool. When we hear a lot of stories in Sunday school, like Jacob and Noah, Moses and Daniel, David and Jonah, Joseph and Samuel, but all the little stories tell one big story about the God who made all things for His glory. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero, and His name is Jesus. the Bible, where should we begin? When God made the whole wide world just by speaking. By his great might, he said, let there be light. The light he called day and the dark he called night. He made the earth and the seas, the dirt and the seeds, the herds and the trees, the birds and the bees. But the big surprise God had up his sleeve. On day number six, created Adam and Eve, made in the image of the beautiful Most High. God told them, be fruitful and multiply. Everything's yours, but that tree do not try. Because in the day you eat it, you surely go Gonna die. I'm sure you know the rest. Yes, they failed the test. And ever since then, the world has been a big mess. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero, and his name is Jesus. When we read God's word today, the greatest saints had their flaws on full display. And it was written down for us in order that we may recognize that Christ is the only way. Adam ate forbidden fruit and lost his life. Abraham got scared and lied about his wife. Sarah laughed to herself when she heard God's promise. Rebecca encouraged her son to be dishonest. Aaron used crafts to make a golden calf. Moses got mad, struck the rock with a staff. David sinned greatly, even lost his baby. And Jacob, he was just all around shady. The point is not to make light of our flaws, but to show that every one of us needs the cross. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero when his name is Jesus. The Flood, a real event. This is Ken Ham, an Aussie transplant with a passion for sharing the truth of God's Word. This week we're celebrating at the Ark Encounter. Wednesday is the five-year anniversary of the opening of our life-size Noah's Ark. So we're going to talk this week about how the Flood was a real event. Earlier this year, Pope Francis claimed the Flood was a mythical event, or just a local Flood. But that doesn't match what Scripture teaches. The Bible teaches every high hill under the whole heaven was covered with water and that every living creature not on the ark died in the flood. That's only possible if the flood was global. Scripture's clear. 
the flood really happened and it was a global, earth-covering, catastrophic event. Plan your visit to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum when you go to AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or view a transcript at AnswersRadio.com. What is prayer? Prayer is offering up our desires to God for things agreeable to His will. In the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercy.
Why build a huge ark? This is Ken Ham, CEO of the ministry behind the new Answers Bible Curriculum for Homeschool. This week we're diving into the historicity of Noah's flood and the fact that it was a global flood. Now consider this, God told Noah to build an ark to save him, his family and representatives of the land animal kinds. But why? If the flood was just a local event, why build an ark? Noah and his family could have just moved out of the area. And animals certainly didn't need to come to the ark. Many would have survived outside the region. A massive ship that's 500 feet long is totally unnecessary if this wasn't really a global flood. You know, all the details in Genesis confirm the flood was a global event. To believe otherwise is to reject God's Word. Learn more about the Answers Bible Curriculum for Homeschool at AnswersRadio.com and also learn about our life-size Noah's Ark. Dive deep into God's Word at AnswersRadio.com.
Secular Confirmations of Noah's Flood. This is Ken Ham, publisher of the award-winning family magazine, Answers. This week, we're seeing that the global flood really happened. God's word is clear on that. And there's even secular confirmation. Just in North and South America alone, researchers have recorded over 300 different flood legends. The legends include elements such as a boat that saved people and animals, birds being sent out, a sacrifice afterward, and even a rainbow. Now that sounds a lot like Genesis. How can hundreds of different groups all have the same elements to their stories? Well, because the flood really happened, and every person is descended from Noah and his family, and some cultures preserve the memory of this event. There's so much more to discover when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. You'll be equipped and encouraged to stand on God's Word from the first verse at AnswersRadio.com. Yeah. He made us all, y'all. Yeah. God made us all, y'all. God made me and you. Sing, children. So we all have He did it to show off his glory and worth In Genesis 1, what we see in each verse Is God made a world that is truly diverse From icebergs to insects, tornadoes to trees From lions to lizards, flamingos to fleas Each in their own way, they God they are praising Their differences cry out God is amazing But the crown jewel of the work of his hands Are made in his image, both woman and man We're not accidents, we are part of his plan Yup, God made me and you Let's go never the same. Each person is different, unique in their frame. God made them all, each kind and each sport. He made some people tall and some people short. Dark skin, light skin, and all in between. In each color and shade, his beauty is seen. The Lord knows the number of hairs on your head. Whether brown or black, whether blonde, gray or red. What some call ethnicity and others call race. We should celebrate as the gift of God's grace. You're wonderfully made from your feet to your face. Yup, God made me and you. Let's go. Trust in the Lord will be saved in the book of Revelation, chapter number 7. The church from all times is gathered in heaven. Each tribe and people, language and nation, all thanking God for the gift of salvation. Together, forever, with saints of all kinds, through each the glory of the Lord's going to shine. This is exactly what God has designed when God made me and you. Let's go. Oh, 
fearfully and wonderfully made Through each the glory of God display God made me and you For all the value, all our loss All the great need for the cross Jesus died, rose and paid the cross God made me and you Different colors and different shades All fearfully and wonderfully made Through each the glory of God display God made me and you the rocks cry out this is Ken Ham and we've launched a video streaming platform answers.tv Noah's flood was a real historical event the evidence is overwhelming You see, if there really was a worldwide flood, we'd expect to see billions of dead things buried in rock layers, laid down by water, all over the earth. And that's exactly what we see. The rock layers and fossils aren't the result of millions of years. They're the graveyard of the flood. A global flood would have ripped up massive amounts of rock and soil, depositing those as layers of sediment and trapping organisms that became fossils. And that's exactly what we see in the world all around us. We can trust God's word from the very first verse in Genesis. Listen to this program again or view a complete transcript when you go to AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive daily insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com.
long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the same, immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change, forever you reign, you remain the Why will God reunite our spirits with our bodies? What do we need them for for eternal? And the body was only used as a vessel for our lives on earth. Well, actually, 1 Corinthians 15 says our bodies aren't just used on this planet. Instead, God created human beings in a physical realm. God is spirit. He created the universe as a physical realm. And clearly, he gave us bodies. But they're not just for this life. They're for the afterlife. When Jesus returns, when the end comes, our bodies are going to be resurrected. That's right. When you die, this vessel will be put into the ground, but it's not going to stay there forever and get burned up in the great big incinerator on the last day. Instead, Jesus Christ is going to resurrect you, and he is going to give you an eternal body. In other words, it's fit to last for forever, to reunite you to you. We are dichotomous. We believe that we are body and soul. You are not just a spirit, and you're not just a body. You are dualistic. You're both things. What makes you you, your body, and your soul? I'm not a trichotomous. Don't think you're a heretic if you are. We're not a body, soul, and spirit. I think those two words can be used interchangeably. You have both, and they make up one you. That is what is going to happen on the last day. And then you and I will spend eternity in heaven on earth with our physical bodies. Question, what does that look like? Have you pondered what your body is going to be like for eternity? Uh, maybe, maybe you're hoping, oh, it's going to be the perfect shape, the perfect size, the perfect height, the perfect athletic ability. I'll finally be able to sing. I don't know that those things are all that important. What I know is that you, your body, your recognizable body is going to be resurrected for all of eternity. If you'd like to spend some time musing on what that body is going to be doing for eternity, please get Randy Elkhorn's book, Heaven. He's got two versions. One's a long one. I encourage you to read that. If you don't have the time, read the short one. And I'm telling you, you'll long for the day. You will be anxious for eternity to begin. We aren't going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. I don't know where that imagery came from in the first place. Instead, on this remade planet, we are going to do no less than what we're doing here. Why would we? Why would God create an eternity that's boring, less interesting, less artistic, less athletic, less mm, delicious than this planet? 
I suspect this is, I do believe, some sanctified imagination. Everything that we're going to be doing in heaven will be this but better. He'll still play sports. There just won't be any fouls. Nobody's going to be cheating. There will be winners and losers because it's not a sin to lose. So there'll be actual competition. There just won't be any sinning when we do. Do you like food? Of course you do, culinary expert. Get ready for the best meals you've ever had. Why? Because we are going to be doing all those things no less in heaven than we are doing on earth with our resurrected, built-for-eternity bodies. That was from Wretched. You can see it on Wretched.org and also where I got from YouTube, uh, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D, Wretched. And on Wretched.org, you can see that they have a TV show and a radio show or also on this podcast. Check it out. And what I do for you now is play another song. Hey, yo, they said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. We just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the son of man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the son of man? Trust. Jesus is the king, so his people we will sing. And forever stay worthy is the land. Surprise, I'm back in your section With Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection More power than gravity His knowledge and strategies confound the academy Bow to his majesty He paid sin salary, took up blame on Calvary Those who love his name spread his fame is the policy All eyes on the matchless price of his sacrifice That's prize, I'm after Christ and rise in the afterlife What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a rod or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save dudes Who hate truth, the gospel is not fake news. Our debt is sin, the gospel sweeter than it's ever been. Ain't nothing changed, medicine, we got the medicine. It's still human emergency, the serpent attack. You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we To my composition, lots of rhythm but not traditional, kind of different. But God's consistent, no contradiction. My proposition, through crucifixion, He mocked and crippled His opposition. It's not some fiction I'm spitting. The Son of God is risen, and my incentive for godly living is I'm forgiven. Jesus came to unlock the prison, and through the Spirit He brings a new birth, like an obstetrician. At times I listen, a lot of Christian hip hop is missing. The proposition is my suspicion. We drop the mission, not to this, but the Word of God is it not sufficient? The doctrine is that the gospel fixes our shock. God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens A squad of Christians go out and witness a God's commission Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition Stand up, hands up If you truly love the Son of Man, trust Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive And his fame is going to spread across the land What's up? Stand up, hands up Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like 
elevate the music, but we gon' celebrate them, relegate them, we refuse it. They hate Christian hip-hop, I peep myself. They say we too redundant, well let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real estate. Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchased property, I feel like I'm real estate. If the father wasn't gracious, no sin in them. Again, he came straight blameless, no sin in them. Again, nothing's been the same since, no sin in them. Again, fakers lack his fragrance, no sin in them. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how are we gonna be silent, let the world still Jesus? When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Then, uh, Radio.com. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-E-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O dot C-O-M. Truthbetoldradio.com. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as Truth, the letter B, then Told Radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is Truth, the letter B only, not B-E, Told Radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M. Smilesandstuff.com. So stay social with us, and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. I'm not George. I go to a church service. I get bored easily. <laughs> I fell asleep the last three services. What's wrong with me? <laughs> Lots of options here, but we're going to deflect it from you just for a moment. Church should not be boring. Does that mean that the pastor needs to have pinwheels on the side of his head? bottle rockets firing off as he enters the platform on a white stallion? No. That does not make a church service interesting. What makes it interesting is that a man of God 
who has been duct taped to his desk studying the word of God is lit on fire. People will come and watch him burn, preaching of the word of God enthusiastically. That's interesting. A liturgy that's thoughtful. That's interesting. Reading of the word of God that is not mumbly and word of God. Okay, I'm done till my next rotation. No, stand for the reading of the word of God. Prepare now to not hear a word, the word of God proclaimed in your hearing. That will keep people's attention. So, George, maybe you're going to a church that's a bit of a snoozer. Nevertheless, you and I have a responsibility. George, I would actually say that if you're experiencing the drowsies on a regular basis and it's just in church, that's an important observation. If it's just in church, then maybe you've got some work to do. You might want to visit your doctor. Could be a physical thing. Maybe not if it's just church. But you need to do some extra work, and you should be motivated to do so. What are we doing when we assemble on Sunday morning? It is the highlight of the week for any human being on the planet, the privilege of coming together with God's children, a reflection of him on this earth to sing praises to our God and to our King, and to hear from heaven as his word is proclaimed. Focus on that. Think about what you are doing. And maybe, just maybe, you want to get to bed a little earlier on Saturday night. Prepare for it. Get ready. Make a sacrifice so you don't go out and see the movie on Saturday night. You prepare your heart and you prepare your body so that you don't fall asleep for the most important hour of the week. Once again, that's Richard with Todd Friel. And check out Richard.org. W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D on um, all YouTube and you can see the TV show there on Richard.org and the radio show. So check it out. Thanks for listening to me. Melissa Cantrell here on Truth Be Told Radio and uh, go out with the show with uh, Yancey and friends and if we are really that's all for now. Bye for now.